person with no forgiveness in heart, living even worse punishment than death. Spent Welcome to Now Playing's The Karate Kid Retrospective Series. It's not tournament, it's for real. With the upcoming reboot starring Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan, Brock, Arnie, and Jacob will be looking back at all the Karate Kid movies, culminating in a weekend of release review of the new film. You know, points or no points, you're dead meat. These podcasts will contain spoilers, and you can find a new podcast each week at nowplayingpodcast.com. Ask one more small request. And if you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a positive review on iTunes. You're a pushy little bastard, ain't you? I like that. Today we're talking about The Next Karate Kid. Starring Hilary Swank, Pat Morita, Michael Ironside, Constance Towers, and Chris Conrad. Directed by Christopher Kane. This is Brock. And thank goodness I made it back for the podcast today. I just I flew back today from the monastery just outside Boston. I didn't think I was going to make the podcast. This is Jacob, and I've been teaching my spiritual leaders to dance because... If your spiritual leader can't dance, they ain't worth being a spiritual leader. Hi, this is Marjorie. I am a Suntime host of Now I'm Playing. So we have the girl karate kids, and now we have the girl co-host, too? <laughs> well, that's what they did in the next Karate Kid, is they just took out the boy. This is the next Now Playing podcast host. Exactly. See, they took out the boy, replaced it with a girl, so that's what's happened here. Okay, then. At least we were warned on the poster. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you knew what you were getting into. You knew there was a girl, and there's no Ralph Macchio in this whatsoever. Okay. And this is Arnie. <laughs> yeah. Bye. 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 <laughs> I'm back for the next Karate Kid. And so is Pat Morita, who is the only holdover. That's called a transition, folks, in the business. <laughs> and so we're here to discuss the surprise fourth entry in the series after the Karate Kid Part 3 debacle, I think is a word you could use. You would have thought that destroyed the franchise. I'm not sure why. I think that would be the nail. Yeah, but this, no, they they came back with the coffin even stronger and said, you know, we have one more in us. Let's see if we can reboot the franchise before rebooting or relaunching a franchise as were popular by putting a girl in the place and keeping Mr. Miyagi because the franchise is Mr. Miyagi, not Daniel-san according to the makers of this movie. The term reboot is very, very recent. It's late 2000s. However, I dare say this was a thing in the 90s was to start over a fresh start. Forget the sequels. Not too far after the next Karate Kid came Halloween H2O. We also had Star Trek Generations when they're starting a whole new series and leaving the original cast in the old folks home. You know, it was an entire period of movie renewal. And when that didn't work, then came the more hard reboot at this point the 90s they kept trying to take something old and make it new again in certain ways and so to do it to the karate kid you know it was one of the biggest franchises of the 80s for some people i could see why they would try it again and we have oscar winner not at this time but later in her career hillary swank as the new trainee 
Why don't we give a plot summary and then we can talk about the movie. Finally, a Karate Kid movie that doesn't take place in the mid 80s. I'm assuming it's 1994 and Mr. Miyagi is in Boston because the 442nd regime in which he served from World War II was getting a commendation and he then meets the widow of his old war buddy. But the widow is taking care of her granddaughter after the parents of the granddaughter, Julie, died in a car accident. And the granddaughter is very troubled, very despondent, distant. And so Mr. Miyagi tells the grandmother to go water his plants in California and he'll stay and take care of the girl. So he becomes her caretaker and eventually they connect through karate. She gets suspended for school for two weeks, so they go to Boston's monastery and hang out with some monks. <laughs> she learns karate and comes back where she has to face off against Colonel Dugan and his group of the Alpha Elite, who are basically hall monitors on steroids, as I take it. Is, is yeah. that what? That's what I figured I, they were. I wasn't sure. I had hall monitors, too, but they turn out to be a football team in the next couple of scenes. <laughs> they're a football team, they're the school's security force, and they're <laughs> kickboxers, and they bungee jump. They're just extreme. <laughs> the Alphas are led by Colonel Dugan, played by the wonderful in everything Michael Ironside. Agreed. Julie starts dating an ex-Alpha, and so Michael Ironside tries to have him killed? at a pier and blow up his car. And so Julie steps in with karate and beats an alpha. And so now all the alphas realize Dugan's crazy, but it's not over yet, folks, because then Miyagi and Dugan have a go at it. And of course, Miyagi wins because Miyagi is invincible, as we learned in part three. All right. The movie takes place in Boston instead of California, as I mentioned. So perhaps a breath of fresh air, but I thought the opening scene was in Washington, D.C., so when they flashed Boston after the opening scene, I'm like, well, why the hell is he in Boston for? Did you get the impression they were in D.C. also? I just assumed they were in D.C. because why in the hell would they do an honorary to a military unit in Boston? Yeah, I don't know. And then the opening scene is a marching band's version of This Is My Country, and I found that to be a really weird way to open not only a Karate Kid movie, but any kind of movie that's not a war movie. I, I just found that was a really strange tone to set. Because uh, it was a military scene? I don't know. It took me out. Every other movie starts off with the you know the faux Japanese-type music. It reminded me of – do you guys remember uh, Die Hard 3? Yeah. And Die Hard always used classical music, but – in Die Hard 3, they used they, they started adding drums to it, and it had a heavier beat than just the, the typical uh, orchestral music. They were doing it, it, When Johnny Comes Marching Home. Yeah. And they also did um, Hot Time, Summer in the City in the beginning of Die Hard 3. Yeah, and it just – I don't know. It, it was the 90s, man. It was a time to experiment with new types of music. We had the cranberries in this. I don't know. I just thought perhaps it was actually accurate because I looked it up, and the guy who's speaking at that ceremony is actually somebody in real life from the 442nd. I think he was like a senator or something. Yeah. Yep. And so I just thought they were being accurate. I paid no attention to that music because it was a ceremony. It wasn't a score. It was something that was really happening in the scene. So I just yeah. wrote it off. But yeah. I thought it was in D.C., and then they're in Boston, and that confused me, but I kind of liked this change of scene because we've done California at this point. We've done this story at this point, so they really need <laughs> to add something fresh, or what's the point? Well, if you remember when we did our Freddy's Revenge podcast, Stuart was talking about one of the common things they do in sequels is change the gender. He said that they changed Nancy to Jesse. That's what they're doing here. The fresh thing is instead of a boy, we have a girl. 
But and you notice with Ned, the bad guy, they go from, you know, all the blonde people from the first film that were the bad guys to an Italian Guido looking douchebag that kind of resembles <laughs> Daniel in a way. It's like the dark side of Daniel in this movie looming over it. Interesting. Uh, but one thing they didn't change is the exposition in horrible dialogue and argument oh. scenes. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I wrote actually worst exposition ever. <laughs> when she argues with the grandmother to get out to the audience, Psst, my parents are dead in a car accident. Psst. I think all parents need to stop driving because how many <laughs> movies is it that both parents are killed in a car accident? There's this, there's Halloween four. you know, you just got to stop driving. It's just too convenient a way to kill the parents and get her out of the way. And, and so Arnie called it right in the summary. We have Miyagi deciding to take over for the grandmother to look over Julie and everybody's just okay with that. And the premise is set that Miyagi will now mentor this girl. Can I say one thing that I did like that they did here? They kind Please. of a- amped it up a notch. The problem with Daniel was strictly the bullies in school. 100%. Here, Julie is very much lacking in self-confidence. She's arguing with her grandmother. She's like a real teenager. At least what I remember being a teenager was like, you hate everybody, including yourself. So I liked seeing somebody a little more flawed than Daniel, somebody a little more argumentative than Daniel, because Daniel was always pretty game. You know, he kind of got tired of painting the fence, but he was never too mad at his mom or, you know, very little of that. I liked seeing that here in Julie. Yeah, I really like Julie. Well, I don't know if I really like her, but I like <laughs> I, I liked the changes they made to the Daniel son character with Julie. There's moments where Miyagi almost seems afraid of her which you never got that with Daniel. There's a scene where he's like trying to get her to do the wax on wax off thing. She's like, hell no, I'm going to the mall. And like there's scenes where he just like backs away. He doesn't know how to deal with her. So I liked those changes. They did someone that was, a you know, a bit more of a rebel as far as karate kid kids movies go. So I, I liked what they did with Julie here. I can't argue with what you guys are saying about the character. It was interesting and she did quite well with what she had. And she was a likable enough character as in the lead of this movie. I do have a question, though. Did her parents recently die? Because I kind of got the impression she was new in school. Yet I couldn't quite tell because it's like the principal doesn't know her, but the lead alpha guy does know her. But then the other alpha guy, the blonde one, doesn't know her. And so I, I just couldn't get a feel for how she related to her peers. I couldn't even get a feel for this. Was this a high school that they were supposed to be in? I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, no, I kind of like the first Karate Kid because they, they looked like they were in their early 20s. But this one is full back to fast time at Ridgemont High where everyone looked like they were 35. And with these oh. alpha elites, like, I don't know. What is this? Like, I'm like, are they the ROTC? I had no idea what the setting was for this movie as far as the school goes. I took it as high school. I took it as, eventually took it as high school as well, but it's much worse than Fast Times. I don't know what these, what's in the water there, but every single guy is jacked. <laughs> every single one, including the, the nice guy, the boyfriend guy. The well, man they is, were the alpha elites. Uh, yeah, but, some of the background guys look pretty scrawny. Well, let's talk about the alpha elites now. The opening shot of the alpha elites, you have a Michael Ironside in profile, you know, waiting by his door, and then they have them walking in feet first into frame, and it's the longest crotch shot you've ever seen in a Karate Kid movie, <laughs> wearing the tightest pants ever, and they're walking, I'm like, what is going on here? And then... I thought we were going to be in for another uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 kind of stuff throughout the whole movie. And they walk in the frame and they're jacked. I mean, they're big. And these guys are supposed to be in high school. And I couldn't believe it. And then I was also confused, as we mentioned. There are hall monitors. 
they're some sort of authoritative figure in school, and that didn't make any sense to me. Well, Colonel Dugan has so much power that he's able to tell the principal, if she screws up again, she's expelled. Isn't this guy like a janitor or something? Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Is it like the John Goodman character in Revenge of the Nerds because he's head of the good football team and he can tell the dean what's what? I don't know. Yes, he has the best hall monitors in Boston, so he, he rules the town. If there was a hall monitor championship, there was like cheerleading across the country. They have these championship cheerleaders. They could be the championship hall monitors and go on ESPN and compete about busting tardy children or something. Well, seriously, these hall monitors, though, they took it serious because they did like kickboxing regimes. Where's your pass? Did you hear Dugan's no mercy strike first, strike hard, no mercy speech here? It's like. The enemy is within. If a person spray paints our walls, re-spray paint his eyes. I'm like, whoa. So, okay, we just got Hitler as the bad guy for this movie, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't get it because they're out there. They're not playing football. They're kind of wrestling. It's not karate. I'm wondering what movie I'm watching at this point. I, I know I've seen Pat Morita, but he's done some other movies, and maybe I'm watching one of them. Maybe it's Karate Dog. <laughs> In that scene, when you have Michael Ironside in the fire ring, whatever they called it, and they're beating each other up, and he's beating up these students, what kids will allow a teacher to beat the crap out of them? What teacher should beat the crap out of kids? Why, why isn't anyone coming to anyone's rescue? And Miyagi steps up. But why is Miyagi the only person in the world who sees this abuse of children on a school field? Because at that point, it's established it's a high school. That one scene helps you establish it's a high school. Before that, you had no idea. It could have been a college. And even then, at a college, it'd be inappropriate. But I could see it happening more than in a high school. I actually have some personal stories. I have cousins that were on the football team in high school. And it was stuff that was kept silent. But th this kind of stuff does go on. You're with, kidding. With high school. No, no. I mean, I had a cousin who got his nose broken by his coach. And no one said anything. Because wow. you just don't do that. It's You're the championship football team. You take it. So I think for hall monitors, I think it's a bit extreme. I mean, if this was supposed <laughs> to be football practice, it, it actually didn't come off too fake to me because just because I know personal, you know, people that that it's happened to. Oh. It just it didn't come off as believable here, though. Agreed. No, it, it didn't. Too extreme. It wasn't. It was out in the open in front of the school by a road. It wasn't. You know, the dirty little secret. Coach beats me. <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> right there and. I kind of took it as like gym class, extreme gym class. Everything about these alphas was extreme. Now, there's the scene where the alphas are chasing Julie, and that really kind of had a gang rape feel to it, didn't it? Well, they keep telling her, hey, let's take you down to the harbor. The docks. <laughs> yeah. The, the docks, I'll let, yeah. I'll let, you go, I'll let you go this time if you meet me down at the docks. Why? So I can go down and get gang raped by you and your friends? Why? Would, what girl would go down to the docks? What kind of guy asks girl out that way either? It was, you know, I You mean that doesn't work? No, you put gum. I understand putting gum in girls' hair when the playground when you're in a little kid, but this is ex as you were. Here's the word of the podcast. It's a little extreme. <laughs> Come down to the docks. We can, you know, take turns on you. It was horrible, <laughs> unbelievable. But yeah, the whole thing with the docks we'll get back to later. But I, I just found that the, the the chase through the the school at night. I found that. They were waiting for her, weren't they? It was kind of like a trap. They suspected it was her. I think they knew about her falcon on the roof from... I don't know if they followed the other alpha or what happened, but... Okay. Somehow they knew. But hey, you get the scene, like, I guess it's in the cafeteria at the school, and you have Julie, she's hiding in, like, one of these cupboards, and you got uh, Ned, like, jumping around looking for her. 
Now, Jurassic Park came out in 93. This yep. came out in 94. Did that scene not remind you of the raptor scene in Jurassic Park? Of course it did. Yeah. So the chase through the school causes Julie to be suspended for two weeks. But at this point, she is being trained in karate by Mr. Miyagi. Now, we've all seen wax on, wax off. Julie was having none of it. So he teaches her a new karate technique of babysitting. The best Nerf commercial ever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. If I had treated a babysitter like this when I was like eight, my parents would have treated me like Dugan treats an alpha elite, meaning they would have kicked my ass. Yes, I got that. Uh... Home Alone was popular at the time. Yeah, that, yeah, that's it. Reminded me of something like that. One of those, those you know, Home Alone or something. Yeah, it, I agree. It was a montage of silly in the middle of this. Well, I guess it's kind of, kind of a silly movie, but when you have one scene about threatening to picking on a girl and being very, very physical with her, that whole scene about come down to the docks with us or you're in trouble, whatever, caught her smoking. And then you have this cartoonish-like scene with these three children. I guess it gave Julie a chance to relax a little bit and let her hair down, so to speak. But it certainly did seem like a giant step into weird land, considering what we have seen before. (laughs) Now, speaking of her hair, I have one gripe. She's played as a very plain girl, which is very rare in movies at all. But there's one scene where, like, she asks Mr. Miyagi, why is my makeup all over the bathroom? My question is, when did she wear makeup? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. She was definitely into that 90s grunge where she was wearing the flannel and... Cut off jeans and... Cut off flannel. So Miyagi sees her do the tiger jump when she avoids getting hit by the car. That clues him in that she could be a potential karate student. Yes, because she jumped into tiger position. Right. If that was his dawning moment of, I could teach her karate... Isn't that why he's here? Because he was going to try to teach her something in the first place? What else is he going to teach her? So wait a second. Mr. Miyagi taught her grandfather. But didn't Mr. Miyagi tell Daniel-san he'd never taught anyone and that's what made teaching Daniel-san special? Yeah, I I mean, Arnie, how many plot holes are we going to find here? I I, I agree, though. That is a big one. Because... The whole first movie is built on that that father son relationship. You know, Daniel doesn't have a father. Miyagi son died during the, the birthing process. It, it was a special character development moment there. And yeah, we'll we'll just throw that out. And Mr. Miyagi, maybe when you know teaching people during the war doesn't count. I don't know. Maybe he was lying to Daniel son. Yes, you are my first. <laughs> but it's with a girl, so it's different, Arnie. It's totally different. <laughs> so they told me in high school. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so she gets suspended and they go to the monastery. Boston Monastery. How many monasteries are in Boston? And more importantly, how does Miyagi know of them? I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know there were monasteries in Boston, to be frank. So it took me all by surprise. So they go to the monastery. We have life lessons. And I have a question. Can, can anyone just go to a monastery to hang out? Like if I was feeling a little stressed, could I just hang at a monastery for a while? Well, Miyagi had to wait like six hours after you rang the bell. They're like, so I guess if you're patient enough, they'll let you in. It's like Fight Club. You have to stand on the doorstep <laughs> yeah. for two days and then they'll let you in. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the first rule about Boston Monastery is you don't talk about Boston Monastery. That's why we don't know about the Boston Monastery. You're not allowed to talk. <laughs> so they go in the monastery and we get lots of life lessons and we get a whole bunch of karate lessons. And Julie finds her center and she learns to train blindfolded and she just like learns Luke. To yes. Force. <laughs> yes, that's what I was getting at. There's a line that's very similar to I can't even see how am I supposed to fight? 
exactly what I have right here. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, gee, I wonder if that's going to come into play later in the movie. Also, what we get in this monastery, which I think we have to mention, is comedic monk moments. And I was Why trying to think to myself. Why is there a dance scene with monks? Because you can't trust a spiritual leader who doesn't dance. I totally <laughs> agree with that, but still. <laughs> dude, it's monks dancing. To the cranberries. This is not even a dance song. I seriously thought someone put LSD in my uh, water at this point. <laughs> Choreography was great. They all were in sync with each other. Man, it was just surreal. These are some hip monks. I don't understand, honestly, and perhaps when we get later in this podcast, we'll discuss it as a more global theme, but this movie, it's non-linear. It's, it's almost <laughs> ADD because we've got the falcon on the roof. We've got the train yards, which kind of reminds me of Can't Buy Me Love with the old plane <laughs> yards. But then we've got like this whole siesta in the middle of the movie where we go to a monastery. We forget about the alpha elites entirely. And the grandmother never comes back again. So she's forgotten. We just like it's like truly when she was suspended for two weeks, the plot was also suspended. I was wondering, what is the conflict of this movie? Karate Kid won very early on in the first act. Daniel has to train to fight in a karate tournament to get the respect uh, from his fellow students. Karate Kid 2, again, very early on, there's going to be a, a fight for life or death as soon as, you know, three days pass after Mr. Miyagi's father dies. Karate Kid 3, I mean, again, a tournament thing, it, it gets about there in a very odd manner, but you know that's the conflict. You know what this movie is building up to. I don't know what the next Karate Kid was building up to. I know there's alpha elites and that they were jerks, but there is never like a full conflict where, okay, we're going to have this fight and settle it until the very like last 10 minutes. I knew nothing about this movie going in, and I'll tell you honestly what I thought. Going in blind, I thought she'd be fighting female bullies in a karate tournament at the end. I thought it would be that derivative of part one. <laughs> and then, when I saw these alpha rapists, I realized she'd be fighting them, but I still thought it would be in a karate tournament, which is why I was confused when they're in that ring of fire, why they're not learning karate. I figured, you know, it would be karate versus karate. Then finally, I did realize that, yes, it would come down to her versus them or him but i still thought it was going to be in a tournament why not i mean two of the three movies we've seen ended in a tournament and if you're starting over why not keep what worked right but no they go somewhere else so jacob i understand your point there's no real conflict here so typically when those things happen even in character studies there's some conflict if it's an inner conflict but her inner conflict of her parents died and have all that kind of stuff is kind of given the light touch after oh, she yeah. mentions yeah, so if it's all about inner conflict and helping someone find the balance that was the theme in the first movie, it's not very well stated at all. Yeah, I, like I, I said, I, I kind of like Julie as a character, but they don't do enough. Like you said, that I think that is a big part of this movie, and that's the part of this movie that I liked is yeah. her coming to term with you know her lot in life that you know her parents died and she has a chance to start over and not be the you know have this tough persona. I you know it's it's a Saturday morning you know feel good cartoon. I liked it. It was done well enough, but yeah, yeah. you're right. It's not flushed out in a nice round way. It's very flat the way they go about it. I'm gonna say something different than Saturday morning cartoon, Jacob. I'm gonna say this is the special Asian karate 
Friday episode of 90210. <laughs> well, she was on 90210. She was. Let's not forget that. But yeah. that's what this felt like to me. She had boy troubles and her parents were dead. And it just, it felt so 90210 to me. It really did. And in fact, it felt so cheaply shot. The past three Karate Kid movies were all done by the same director and he was an experienced director. Here, we've got Christopher Kane and he'd done a couple of things by now. He'd done Young Guns as the big thing, but it just felt so made for television. I was going to say that it's ABC Family television movie kind of thing, that that kind of quality. I think you're absolutely right. A TV movie is what I got out of it. And when those TV movies, when you have kind of like milk toast things, you also have these bland characters. They throw in the obvious symbolism. And in this case, it's the hawk with the broken wing. Completely obvious symbolism. And they're trying to put that in there to accentuate what they're trying to say with her. But again, it's so bland that it comes off as no, or it comes or you can completely miss it if you're not paying attention of why that even that plot point is in this movie. So yeah, we shouldn't be surprised that we don't get a lot out of this, but there's something if you're willing to go for a TV movie kind of premise and kind of movie with date rape and things <laughs> like that thrown in, then you have the next Karate Kid. You know, the monks go back to Boston with them, which is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, well, it was her birthday wish, Arnie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, her birthday. She gets one wish, anything she wants. And her wish is, I wish that you guys would come and visit me in Boston. Really? You've been this horrible biatch this entire movie, but two weeks in a monastery and your big wish, anything you want, is they will come and visit you. And then the second thing is a, a completely pointless arrow demonstration. That is what, what was the point of that? None. <laughs> it never came back. I'm like... Are is uh, Dugan going to try to shoot Miyagi with a gun at the end and he's going to catch the bullet? What was the point of that scene? It would be cool if that was like the last dragon. Why did they give her the arrow? She never does any. I mean, it's... Why do the monks go bowling? This is what I said about the non-linear nature of this movie. There is this totally irrelevant monks day out subplot. (laughs) <laughs> that comes in like an hour into the movie. It's like they it's just like- <laughs> wanted to give Pat Morita more screen time and more cool stuff to do because he was the name in this movie, him and Michael Ironside. He goes bowling and bets on the bowling match. This is pointless. The entire monks coming to Boston, they don't do anything. They alert Mr. Miyagi that Eric, uh, Julie's boyfriend, is being attacked. You know, in the script, Mr. Miyagi could have heard the breaking glass. <laughs> I I thought the monks were going to face off against the alphas and it was going to be like five on five. Yes. (laughs) But the monks do nothing. I thought it would be so cool if the monks pulled out some kick-ass kung fu. Also, the bowling scene, not only do they have the first bowling scene, they keep it going with the, the mean guy who lost the bet turns out to try the Zen bowling stuff and then likes it. They keep it going so long as well. Not only was it pointless to begin with, but to keep it going was absolutely absurd. It didn't make any sense. I agree with you completely 100% that I thought we we're going to have the monks at the end, even the odds out. And if not actually doing anything, just being bodies there to show like muscle with stern faces on. Maybe all the monks would show up like the uh, Lambda Lambda Lambdas at the end of Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> all yes. those monks would just stand there and <laughs> walk into a base room. And you know uh, they would because they're good <laughs> spiritual leaders. Yeah. It- <laughs> I did like the birthday cake moment when they gave her the birthday cake. They drop earlier that it's her birthday coming up and the grandmother forgot it. And you know what? I forgot it too. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I felt, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, they said it was her birthday coming. I forgot. Just like her grandma. 
I guess I don't love Julie either. <laughs> when they return to Boston, we find out off screen, apparently, because that of all the scenes in the movie they cut, they cut the scene. The boy asks Julie out to the dance. Miyagi, I thought, was an interesting scene. Not, I'm not saying it's awesome, but I thought it was clever that he teaches karate by doing housework and chores, but he teaches her how to dance by using karate. Yes, what a great reversal. I thought that was a small tip of the hat to okay, that's sort of clever, but I liked it fine. It just was a little obvious, a little heavy for me, but I thought it was, I mean, I saw saw the whole time what was going on. Oh, yeah, I I got that it was coming, what was coming. Here's why I liked it, though, is you come to expect with a Karate Kid movie that there's going to be some mundane task that's turned into a killer fighting move. And this one, you don't get that. Instead, you take the killer fighting moves and turn it into dancing. It's a simple thing, you know, a simple little clever whatever, but I liked it. It, it, it got me to smile. Yeah, it was very sweet. It was fun when the first movie, when you, when the first time you ever saw the movie with the wax on the wax, saw the paint the fence, the reveal was such a great scene as we talked about in that podcast. Here, it was so obvious, but yes, it was a smile-inducing moment. I guess th- if this was like a dance movie and she was going to have to be involved in some dance-off, then this would have really paid. Like, I, thinking about <laughs> this, this should have been a dance movie, and she learned how to dance from karate. This will tie in yeah. very well to our Step Up retrospective series. This is yes. the next Karate Kid where it's a dance film. It's the Karate Kid Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yes. The one thing you notice is you talked about the dance moves. I was kind of upset because Miyagi teaches her how to punch. Three movies, Daniel's like, show me how to punch, and Miyagi won't show him how to punch. <laughs> one week with this girl, and he's got out the boxing mitts, and she's, like, pummeling him. And she did all her stunts, it looked like. She did great. Did you notice her signature move, her crane kick, if you will, was like this leap. It's on the poster with the feet extended. That was, like, right out of Double Dragon, wasn't it? Wasn't that the main Double Dragon? Dragon kick. Yeah, it's yes. where you do the flying kick. Yeah. This was double dragon all the way. This was the main okay. jumping kick in double dragon. So can we get to the dance scene? The dance? Because Julie goes and Miyagi, who had no money last time. I guess Mr. Miyagi's little trees is doing okay. I wish can I just say I wish there would have been a drop line about Mr. Miyagi's little trees or Daniel Santa let us know. Did the business work out? Where are they now? None of that. But I guess it's doing okay because he buys Julie a dress in another awkward Mr. Miyagi scene and she goes to the school dance and this is where the movie gets really crazy because this is where the monks start going bowling and then this scene where (laughs) i i was flipping out about what was happening let me explain what i'm watching is they're having a normal school dance and then you get this angle shot up to the rafters and you see four guys up there in black i think they're about to rappel in with machine guns and start killing people like out of die hard or something no it's just the alpha extremes bungee jumping in the middle of a dance and they're not bungee jumping to do anything they're just bungee jumping for bungee jumping sake i have no idea what it was they're like well colonel dugan said we could do it but why would you want to (laughs) no it made no sense and this is the excuse to bring on the final fight do these alpha extremes have dates first of all the only girl we've seen them go after is julie who no offense to hillary swick but we've all seen boys don't cry she's not the most feminine of women and they're all there at the dance none of them are in tuxedos they're all in this like black military garb and they're bungee jumping how in what realm does this make sense karate kid three that had its own twisted logic this doesn't even have that i have no idea like maybe one of the film crew always wanted to bungee jump and so 
They said, hey, we'll, we'll write it off as an expense. I don't know. And they crash into like, what do you call those? A gazebo. Yeah, gazebo. They, they crash into a gazebo. I again think that like they're coming to take over the dance or something. Like it's a military operation. No, that was just an accident. Bottom line, they, they stopped the dance for no reason to have these guys bungee jump for no reason. And one of the guys gets hurt. And Jacob's right. Just so they can have the catalyst of wits have the end fight it doesn't make any sense they're already pissed off at this guy anyway what's the point you didn't need this as the catalyst you could have just had them waiting outside the dance mad that an ex-alpha is dating the girl who spurned the lead alpha the alpha alpha if you will <laughs> yeah this this scene is just i don't know man i i we need to find a uh, dvd that has a commentary on it and see if they offer any insight to this because nobody is doing it. This movie did so horribly that everyone wants it stricken from their resumes. There's no coming back, bringing the band back together to do a commentary on this turd. So the alpha guy takes Julie home and then the alphas smash the shit out of his car. During the makeout scene, this is the big love scene and he gets his car smashed up. Don't you think this is when you call the cops? Yes, it is. And they bring that up, and Eric, the boyfriend, says, well, they're just going to lie to the cops anyway. Isn't that what cops are used to hearing? It's not like everybody tells the cops the truth, and the alphas are the first to think of lying. (laughs) Well, they are the alpha elite, so these are future cops themselves. So maybe the cops are going to give them a break. What cracks me up is, he says, so come down and meet me at the docks. Dude, it is a trap. He is telling you to meet him down there because the other guys are going to jump you. Now... We all know this. He doesn't seem to care, and he goes anyways. Well, this is what men do. We go stupidly into things because we feel our machismo will win the day even if we break our nose. Yeah, well, I just thought that whole thing of meet me at the docks, I'm going to go down to the docks. What? Did you jump bungee jump off the roof and hit your head on the way down? Because this <laughs> makes no sense. Why would you possibly go there? Well, he goes in his broken car and Miyagi and Julie follow and then they blow up his freaking car. Dude, they have the fire pits going on the dock and then they yeah, light gasoline and blow it up. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know what movie I'm in. I, Michael Bay <laughs> just took over. Uh, this is this has cut the umbilical cord to reality here it really has michael ironside is still in total recall i think because i want to know what high school kids blow up other high school kids cars we may tp their house don't blow up their cars that's just unbelievably extreme and then ironside comes up with some excuse if they try to blame it you know when the cops come no he he was just driving fast and got in an accident they've never heard of like arson forensics where they actually can track (laughs) the stuff down they're not going to notice this big line of gasoline on the pier but it it, goes a step further because they beat the crap out of eric and then michael ironside says finish him what do you think i've been training you for so why is he training them to be murders? Is he, like, assembling a squad of mercenaries or something? I'm telling you, he's Hitler. The bad guy in this film is Hitler. We need this movie to be a crossover. The Karate Kid meets the substitute, and Treat Williams is <laughs> one of the substitute teachers at the school who then steps in to stop the mercenary army. And the kids turn on Michael Ironside, not when they blow up the car. But when they wanted him to beat him more when he was already down. Well, he wanted them to kill him. He actually says later on, kill, put her away later on. He actually gives the kill order about Hillary Swank. He gives it about Eric, too. He specifically said, finish him off when Eric is down. And this is, what have I been training you for? He wants Eric dead. (laughs) 
this is the problem with Ironside and this uh, Colonel Dugan in this film. You know, in Karate Kid 3, Terry Silver was a, a paper-thin cartoon villain. I at least got his motivation. He was just an evil guy. He dumped toxic waste. I have no idea what Dugan's motivation is, is in this movie. I honestly wonder if there's a subplot about him creating, like, a special hit squad to go invade Nicaragua or something. You know what this ending, I said in the last podcast that Karate Kid 3 reminded me of Rocky 3. This movie reminds me of Rocky 5. Rocky 5, Tommy and the Machine Gun, taking it out in the street. My rings outside. outside. <laughs> <laughs> we both said it. Awesome. Because <laughs> the final fight is between the Alpha Alpha and Julie on the dock where they've been threatening to take Julie the whole movie. So he got what he wanted. Happy ending. I liked the fight in the choreography and all that with Julie. Obviously, the grasshopper kick came into play and all of that. I knew the grasshopper kick would come into play. Unlike you, Brock, I didn't foresee her getting crap thrown in her eyes. Now, I do I do like Julie's fighting style. I think she could kick Daniel's ass. Like, she's tough. <laughs> Daniel couldn't even take the bad boy, you know? So karate, I, I would like to see another karate kid where, like, the karate couple, where, like, Daniel and Hillary Swank, <laughs> Ralph Macchio, they finally meet up. I think one of those two actors would be willing to do this. <laughs> so, Julie wins. Big deal. We all saw that coming. But then Dugan and Miyagi have a go now this is what we said in the first one right is that the sensei in the first one crease needed to be taken down here they're doing it and they do it in the ring and because it's the streets you know we don't have to go outside to have the fight they can just do it right there i thought that was actually effective you know it was something that the constraints of the plot prevented the first time they're getting to do it here we're getting to see dugan get his and it worked for me there were no constraints on this plot they were bungee jumping at a school dance they could do whatever they want <laughs> this is true you know i almost wonder if this is one of those crazy things where like the producer is saying write whatever movie you want but there must be bungee jumping in it well did you guys think when miyagi had the michael ironstein's back of his head and he had his hand up that he was gonna go huh i was so glad he did not <laughs> i was so happy they decided not to do that because I, what they did, did that knock him out with his bad breath he just blew him over because he was so exhausted or something yeah i i took it to be miyagi had so many rice balls and uh and the bad breath got him down i i just thought it was I don't care what he did at that moment as long as he didn't go, honk. On the other care. hand, I would have liked anything to call back to one of the better two movies. So had he gone honk, I at least would have taken it as a bit of continuity. I, you couldn't win with me at that point. Had he honked, I would have been annoyed that he honked because I hated it in part two. But had he not honked, I feel it's not continuity. And this movie's all about the continuity, Arnie. This yeah, Arnie, Arnie, you realize you're worried about Karate Kid continuity at this yeah, point. Yeah, Karate Kid 3 said screw continuity, you know? The one fight Mr. Miyagi can't win is with me. So I think we pretty much summed it up. Anything else you guys want to chat? about for the next karate kid if i had to say something good about this movie it's again pat Morita, the same as the last one he again brings his a game and you'd think by the fourth movie you'd get kind of tired of mr miyagi's shtick but i didn't i was happy to see him it was like seeing an old friend you didn't mind the the up the comedy ante with mr miyagi with the loud music stuff and the whole going to the get the dress scene and he was he was a little more comedian this time. He's always been a bit of a funny and had the humor, but this time he was more obvious in the humor instead of subtle. He was channeling Arnold that he played on Happy <laughs> I knew Days. You're gonna say that? <laughs> no, but I, I think his his humor in the earlier films was much more subtle. It's yes. the way he would look at a person, and here it, it was much more obvious, like everything in these last two films. And Arnie, also, I I want to give props to Hilary Swank. I thought she. It was one of the good things in the movie. I think the two of them came to play. 
I'm not sure if the script was there for them or this is the best script, but the two of them were certainly the highlights of this movie. So we've come to that part of the podcast. Jacob, Arnie, do you recommend the next Karate Kid? Jacob. I've actually got some good things to say about this, unlike the Karate Kid 3. There's elements that I like here. I actually kind of like what they do with Julie. I like that she's tougher than Daniel, that she's more of a rebel. Miyagi's kind of scared of her. I kind of like her story, too, watching her become this tough kid that's kind of messed up because she's lost her parents to where she's a bit more calm, a bit more put together. It's it's done in a very, you know, ABC family kind of way. It's, you know, it, it's not uh, anything that anyone's going to win any Academy Awards for. But, man, the last 20 minutes of this film, <laughs> like, I don't, I, I still don't know. I don't. Like, I don't know if there was a bet going on where, like, let's just see how crazy we could get this movie. This was, like, in Karate Kid 2 territory for me until this last 20 minutes where monks go bowling and cars are being blown up and hall monitors are bungee jumping. Man, it's almost like you guys were saying with Karate Kid 3, you almost have to see it to believe it. I I wouldn't wish that upon anyone if it's on, again, on TV. You have nothing better to watch. You got to see it just for the last 20 minutes of this film. But no, I'm not recommending the next Karate Kid. Arnie. Let me quote this movie. Sun is warm. Grass is green. The next Karate Kid bites. No, don't watch this movie. Really, go watch the original Karate Kid. Seriously. Whatever is good in this movie is a pale imitation of the original. And what's so bad about this movie is so bad. So, so bad. No, I don't recommend it. You know, these these last two sequels, they missed the heart of the original movie, The Karate Kid. The one that we love so much. They, It's just completely gone. But this movie kind of gets a little bit more of that than the last one does. But that being said, you know how we always talk about the kids' movie, the family movie? This one, to me, reeked of family movie, even though we had those couple of things about, you know, well, gang rape you if you go to the docks. But that whole part aside, of course, the first one had the joint. You know, they had, they had some marijuana, and they had the whole thing about the internment camp. So there are some serious themes in these movies. But the, the point is, this one reeked to me of a family movie, AC, ABC Family. We've mentioned that a few times. This is the kind of thing I would think you would see on ABC Family. And you could even cut that one little scene out and show it on TV unedited after that. I mean, it's that kind of movie. And will kids like this movie? Can you put your kids in front of this movie and know that they're watching something that is not going you know, to be horrible for them to see? Yes, it's a very big family kids movie. The problem with, with me on this is that a good family movie, the parents are entertained too, and they get something out of it that may or may not be different than the kids do, ideally different. Like Pixar movies have different levels of enjoyment for depending on what age you are, for example. This one is just, there's more there to enjoy than the Karate Kid 3 for parents if you have to sit there watching it with your kids. But honestly, it's a pretty lightweight kind of movie, and I can't tell adults who are typically our audience here to watch this movie because I, I can't recommend this movie. We have seen much worse movies than this, I think, but not many. <laughs> but it's not really geared to us. It's geared towards children in my mind. And so if you're a child, check it out. But honestly, for our typical audience here at Now Playing, no, I, I can't recommend it to you. So it's a split-level recommendation thing. Kids, yes. Adults, no. So if you like this podcast in our Karate Kids series, please go to our website and check out 
our other retrospective series, we have Back to the Future, Star Trek, Terminator, even Friday the 13th, a whole bunch of different kinds of series, and you can find all of those in our archive section. If you like to join the conversation, go to our forums. There's a link to that on our homepage, and you can discuss this movie and any other movie we've discussed in other episodes with other audience members just like yourselves. And again, if you do enjoy Now Playing Podcasts, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive review. The best kind of advertising we can hope for are fans like yourselves leaving us positive remarks so other fans can join in the fun. So please, please leave us a positive review if you like us. And also you can find us on Facebook, follow us there, and follow us on Twitter. We're all over the place. So, Arnie, Jacob, we have come to what we have done this retrospective series for. The retrospective is over, and now we are looking forward to The Karate Kid. I have gone into each of the later movies in this series with unwavering optimism, and I do so yet again. <laughs> Good for you, Arnie. Take the high road. I'm Yeah, I'm actually kind of intrigued. The, the trailers don't scare me away. So I'm I'm going in more optimistic than I, I did with these uh, last two Karate Kid films. So with the new movie, I haven't I haven't seen a commercial, I haven't seen a trailer, I've seen nothing. All I know is who's in it, and I all I know is from Arnie tells me that it's getting great buzz. So that excites me because after seeing the original Karate Kid and and the, all the rest of them, I guess, but especially the original Karate Kid, I can see a new audience could really go for a well-told story, you know, with this kind of idea. I, I think it'd be interesting to see where they go with it. I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I really am looking forward to discussing it with you two. I don't know if it'll be for us. Right. I, that's one thing I wonder after seeing these latter two. But I can say that, you know, Will Smith is Zvengaliing his son's career, and he would not let him be in a turd. I always believe that there's a place for good family movies and even a good kid's movies. Even if a movie's not for me, if it's a good kid's movie, that's important. There, ha- there's an audience for that. It's needed. Every movie isn't for every audience. But what I'm hoping to get out of this, and maybe my hopes are a little high, is like the first movie, it can be enjoyed by kids and adults alike. I'm hoping that. If we get a good kid movie out of it, for a good, great kids movie to take your kids to for the summer, that's not a bad thing. It really isn't. I agree. So we'll see. We'll talk to you next time. Hey! You're Mr. Miyagi! We did it! We did it! All right! Oh, Daniel, sir. Very good job. Go home. Get the rest. Come morning. Start early, six o'clock. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the now playing Karate Kid Retrospective. You're too much TV. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new podcast from now until the release of the new Karate Kid film on June 11th. I think you talk too much. I think you're not concentrated enough. That's a work to be done. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or recommend us to your friends. After. After what? After, after. You can follow Now Playing on Twitter or Facebook or in the Now Playing forums. Links to these pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Oh man, he's had enough! Hold aside when he's had enough, man! Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2010, all rights reserved. Podcast edited by Jay. The Karate Kid Films is copyright and trademark Columbia Pictures, and no infringement is intended.
You knew there was a girl, and there's no Ralph Macchio in this whatsoever. Okay. And this is Arnie. <laughs> yeah. Bye. 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 <laughs> Good one. <laughs> the the long pause of both like of thanks you. for the warning. <laughs> oh, that was so worth it. <laughs> I don't know what to do. He hooks up with hooks up. Sounds like it's sex. It's not. And he (laughs) (laughs) is Marjorie there. Could she do the summary? (laughs) Rewatch the departed. There is no monasteries in that movie. Yeah, but I don't exactly consider that the Fromer's guide to Boston. (laughs) Still, will hunting. There's no, (laughs) (laughs) there's no colleges in, uh, the departed either does that mean there's no colleges in boston <laughs> yes they gave her a special pink belt because she could do flashy moves but not none of the basics yes i read that on imdb as well yeah we, <laughs> we can both surf the web how talented are we amazing but amazing 